the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Joshua. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Joshua is somebody who takes away our excuses if you ever want to blame your past for why you are where you are. You know, our past can shape us to some degree, but we, we should not be defined by that. And Joshua is someone who, you know, went through terrible oppression, was a slave to the Egyptians, was somebody who experienced hardship in his life, and yet that didn't define him. Have you ever had a hard time trying to step into who God is calling you to be because of your past? Sometimes when we read the Bible, we can think that the people we're reading about never experience the same feelings that we have. When you read the Bible, try to take into consideration the emotional state of some of the people and what they had been through. In today's message, Pastor Gary will be sharing about not letting our past keep us from stepping into what God has for us and our lives. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Joshua, chapter 1, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Let's jump into our Bible study in the book of Joshua. We're going to be chapter 1. We didn't get very far last because it was basically an introduction to the book. Let me just give a, a brief overview to what we talked about, and then we'll read from chapter one, and then we'll pray. But for those of you who missed it, and again, just to get kind of a running start, this is the first book of the Bible named after a person, Joshua. His birth name was Hoshea, or Hashia, meaning salvation, changed by Moses to Yahashua, the Lord is salvation. Moses did that, you can read in Numbers thirteen sixteen, And Joshua was called Moses' assistant in Numbers twenty four thirteen and will later become his successor. So Joshua shadowed Moses, and he was his protege, and he studied and learned from him. And then God literally transferred the spirit of Moses onto onto Joshua so that he could then take over and be the one to actually lead the Jewish people back into the promised land after 400 years of slavery in in Egypt and after 40 years of wandering in in the wilderness in the Sinai Peninsula, uh, finally getting there. The book of Joshua covers about 25 to 30 years and concludes with the death of Joshua at 110 years of age. When you put the chronology of events together, it is likely that Joshua was about 40 years of age when he left Egypt. Now, his friend Caleb specifically, the Bible says, was 40 years of age. It doesn't say specifically what Joshua's 
age was, but probably similar to Caleb. And these were the only two of the spies who went into the promised land, came back with a positive report. They were the only two of that generation to go in eventually to the promised land. Their entire generation will die because of their disobedience to God. They will die in the desert and only their children, the next generation, will enter in. So Joshua and Caleb are very unique individuals in this regard. But because Caleb was specifically said in Scripture was 40 years of age, it is assumed that Joshua somewhere near that age also. And then he spends 40 years in the wilderness with the rest of the Jewish people as Moses's assistant, so that by the time he actually leads the people of God into the promised land, he's around 80 years of age, maybe as old as 85. And then he dies at the age of 110. So this is a, a unique guy and somebody who is, is a great example for us. When you think about his life, if I could just pause here for a moment, Because he doesn't leave Egypt until he's around 40 years of age, you have to remember then he was a slave for the first 40 years of his life. And he understands oppression and hardship being a slave amongst his fellow Hebrew slaves. And so he understands all of this. He understands oppression. He understands the inhumane treatment of man against man. He's experienced it. He's lived it because he's going to be 40 by the time he actually leaves Egypt along with the other Hebrew people. So Joshua is somebody who takes away our excuses if you ever want to blame your past for why you are where you are. You know, our past can shape us to some degree, but we, we should not be defined by that. And Joshua is someone who you know, went through terrible oppression, was a slave to the Egyptians, was somebody who experienced hardship in his life, and yet that didn't define him. He, he was more willing to be a man of God and look to what God had in store for his future than to be a man who was still crippled or chained in bondage to his past. So he, and he moves from being a slave to a spy. He's one of the 12 that Moses sends in on this recon mission in the promised land. He goes from a slave to a spy to a soldier. We see that in Scripture, too, until finally he's a successor. He's Moses' successor. The book is divided into three sections. Chapters 1 through 5 is about entering the land. Chapters 6 through 12 about conquering the land. Chapters 13 through 21 about dividing and settling the land. And then there's this epilogue, chapters 22 to 24, about Joshua's farewell and his death. So this is really a book about God's providential care, certainly, for the Hebrew people, for the, for the Israelites. But it is also how God is faithful to His promises to bring the people back to the promised land. Because they had been 400 years as slaves in Egypt, and now God is returning them to the land that He had promised on oath to their forefathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we're going to talk a little bit about the land, too, because that's in chapter 1. So let's pray, and then we'll read the first eight verses I don't know if we'll get through the whole first chapter, but uh, we'll see how far we get. Let's pray first. Father, we thank you for this time in your word, and we thank you that you can use text that is ancient to bear witness to our souls even today. And we thank you for how you show yourself strong to the people of Israel, how you show Joshua as a man who is strong in the Lord and who takes heart and is courageous as he faces various conflicts and difficulties. And we thank you for his example. We pray that we would learn from it. Uh, We see him as a type, a picture of Christ, how even in his name, the same name that 
Jesus was originally given, Yahashua, Yeshua, the Lord is salvation, and how he brought the people into the promised land. And we thank you that in a greater way, Jesus brings us into our ultimate home, the eternal reward of heaven for all who believe in Jesus. So we thank you for this time in your word. Bless it as we study it together. We praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Joshua chapter 1, verse 1, in English, and I'm reading New King James, it starts after the death of Moses, but actually, literally in the Hebrew, it is and after, and after, because it connects Deuteronomy, where Deuteronomy left off. This is a continuous story. The end of Deuteronomy talks about the death of Moses. So on the heels of that, and after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord... It came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. And now, therefore, arise, go over to this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, All the land of the Hittites and to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage for to to this people... You shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not run from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So this is a major transition in history, in, in biblical history, certainly for the Israelites. Their faithful uh, servant leader, the prophet Moses, has died and now there's this huge vacancy. You know, when anyone who is popular, uh, especially with national popularity like this, dies, it can put the people in a, in a state of panic. But no need to panic because all along God has been preparing Joshua for this moment. But we see in the opening verses here of Joshua chapter 1, this harsh statement, Moses, my servant, is dead. And so Joshua has to step into some pretty big sandals here. He's being encouraged by the Lord. This is... Um, you know, it would cheapen it to say it's a pep talk because it's more than that. But this is, this is God's encouragement to Joshua that God's going to be with him and he can do this and he can lead the people of Israel into the promised land. And so he speaks that way, God does, to Joshua in these opening verses here. And he says to him there in verse 2, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan. Talking about the Jordan River, you and all this people to the land which I am giving them, the children of Israel. And he said there in verse three, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. Now, he didn't just say this to Moses. Originally, the title deed to this land 
was God's and given on oath, on covenant, to Abraham, to Abram. And God defines it here again in the book of Joshua in verse 4. He he defines the territory from the wilderness and this Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites and to the great sea, that's the Mediterranean, toward the going down of the sun, the west, shall be your territory. So he spells out the territory. Now, you know, interestingly uh, to me, it was curious when you go to Israel, the Jewish people are, are very adamant and um, very concerned about the land. If the place where you live is being threatened and, and you have this you know, insecurity about your country and its borders and, and living there, then you're going to be really concerned about the land. But what's interesting is when I, when I talk to Jewish people in America, they're not so much concerned about the land. And I, I had a lunch a couple of years ago with a Jewish rabbi who is not a Messianic Jew, but he's just an Orthodox Jew who pastors, actually might be Reformed in his Orthodoxy, but pastors a, a, a synagogue in Washington, D.C., contacted me. We met up for lunch. One of the things I said to him was about the oath of God in regards to the country of Israel. And he looked at me like, you know, deer in the headlight. And he said, there's no promise to the Jewish people for the land of Israel. And he was taking the position of what I would say is more liberal Judaism, where he didn't believe at all that the Jewish people are entitled to the homeland of Israel, which is a great debate today. And I said to him, your own Jewish scriptures give you the borders. And he said, show me. And I took him, not to Joshua, but actually the first time that God spelled it out, you can just listen or you can turn if you'd like to Genesis chapter 15, verse 18. And this is what God swore on oath to Abraham, the territory of what God had promised to them on oath. This is Genesis 15, 18. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. This is a This is a binding oath. He made a covenant with Abram saying, to your descendants, I have given this land. And here's the borders. From the river of Egypt, that's the Nile, to the great river, the river Euphrates. Okay, this Jewish rabbi looked at this and was like, I've never seen that in my Bible. I thought to myself, I didn't say, maybe you should start reading your Bible. This is the territory that God has given. So in Joshua chapter 1, you can go back to Joshua 1, God is basically restating the boundaries here. Now, he, he includes here to the west the Mediterranean Sea. In Genesis 15, it goes even further down around the Mediterranean to the Nile River of Egypt. But the borders are the same to the east, and it is to the Euphrates River. Now, which is in Iraq. And just to kind of explain, when we think about the territory that God has given to the Jewish people that he swore on oath, originally what God designed was that the nation of Israel should occupy basically this territory. This is from the Nile River to the Euphrates. This is roughly 300,000 square miles. This is what's spelled out in the Bible. I'm not deciding this. This is what God has determined. And so it takes up the Sinai Peninsula, uh, all of Jordan, some of Saudi Arabia, some of Iraq, all of Lebanon, all of Syria, all the way to the Euphrates River. This is what God originally determined that the Jewish people should have as their homeland. 
Now, the Jewish people have never occupied this, ever. Under the reign of King David and his son, then King Solomon, the territory of the nation of Israel reached its largest borders. So it almost got to the place where God intended, but not even quite. The nation of Israel has gone through for 2,500 years a series of other nations that have dominated them. From the time that the Babylonians besieged and basically ransacked Jerusalem in 586 B.C. until 1948, when the nation of Israel, the state of Israel, was once again established in fulfillment, by the way, of Ezekiel 36 and 37. For 2,500 years, from 586 B.C. until 1948, there was no nation of Israel. The people had been dispersed. There was no exclusive homeland. There was no government. There was not even a national language. Hebrew had been replaced by Aramaic, which was a combination of a Hebrew Chaldean dialect. Later throughout Europe, it would be Yiddish, which was basically a Hebrew European dialect. For 2,500 years, the Jewish people would be dispersed all over the world. They would be oppressed all over the world. They would be killed all over the world. And those Jews who did still manage to live within their ancient homeland would be oppressed and subjugated by various other empires that ruled that territory. And this is the list. From 586 B.C., the Babylonian Empire, followed by the Persian Empire, then the Greek Empire, then the Roman Empire, the Byzantine Empire, the Arab Islamic Empire, the Catholic Crusaders, the Mamelukes, the Ottoman Empire, and then the British Empire. The British defeated the Ottoman Turks in World War I as part of the allied forces, because at that particular time, the Ottoman Turks had allied themselves with Germany. The Ottoman Turks had uh, made an offensive attack against Russia. The allied forces intervened. Britain, obviously, a part of the allied forces in World War I. And so the British army took the Ottoman Empire and pushed them and defeated them and recaptured, the British did, recaptured the territory that we're talking about here. Because the British had successfully defeated the Ottoman Empire, the British Empire entered into a a treaty in 1917 called the Balfour Declaration, which determined that the Jewish people were entitled to their own state. And so in 1917, under the Balfour Declaration, The British gave the Jewish people this territory. Well, the Hussein family objected. The Arab population said, that's not fair to us, even though the Arab nations surrounding Israel occupied hundreds of thousands of square miles. We want some of that territory that the British Empire has designated to the state of Israel. The Hussein family led the objection. So, in 1922, when Winston Churchill was the Secretary of State for the colonies of the British Empire, he took out a map to appease the Hussein family, took a crayon, and drew a line down the Jordan River 
and said, the west side of the Jordan River then will be the state of Israel. The east side will be what is called Transjordan. In 1946, the east side was officially changed to the name Jordan. It was a whimsical decision. Winston Churchill just decided, we're going to draw a crayon down the Jordan River. We're going to give the west to the Jewish people. We're going to give the east to the Hussein family in deference to appease the Hussein family. Today, Jordan is still run by the Hussein family. King Abdullah, his real name is King Abdullah II bin al-Hussein. And so they still dominate the, the side of Jordan, the western side of the state of Israel. But again, this is what God originally intended. This is what the Jewish people today have as the state of Israel. And even all of that is, some of that is disputed territory because of the West Bank and the Gaza Strip. The state of Israel today is smaller than the state of New Jersey, can fit into any of the Great Lakes, and this is just a fraction of what God originally intended. Why is this important to know? Because I want everybody to understand, whenever you hear there can be land for peace, if Israel would just give up land, then they can have peace. Number one, that's never worked. And number two, how much more land should they give up compared to what God originally intended them to have? It's an unbiblical proposition. So this is history. I'm I'm just giving you the history of it. And to show you that right out of Scripture, these are the borders and the boundaries that God has defined. So this is what God has said to Joshua, to the Jewish people. They're to go in. They're to take the land because God had originally promised it on oath to Abraham, after 400 years of slavery, they're going home. And so, he says in verse 5, back to your Bibles, Joshua 1, 5, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Now, we'll come back to that. But the next verse, verse 6, Be strong and of good courage. For you note-takers, this is an important verse. You can write it down. Be strong and courageous is found four times in this first chapter. Four times. Verses 6, 7, 9, and 18. And we'll explain why. Be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. So this is the directive. He's saying to Joshua, now... When you get into the promised land, you you are going to divide it into different geographical territories. You're going to split it among the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, which remember were made up by 12 tribes, the 12 sons of Jacob. And so each tribe is going to get a land allotment. And so God is telling him, when you get there, be, be prepared to divide the land so that the people that I've promised this to can live in their different regional territories. But before they're going to be able to live there in peace, you're going to have to go in and conquer it. Because during the 400 years that you Hebrew slaves have been in Egypt, there have been people that have been dominating the land that are idolatrous. They are pagan people. You're going to have to go in there. You're going to have to displace them. And you're going to have to crush all their idols because you can't go into this land and expect to worship me. You're going to be seduced by their idols. 
So there's work to be done first, but God is telling him, be strong, courageous. You're going to divide the land when you get there. Verse 7, only be strong and very courageous. There he repeats it again with a very emphasis, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Don't turn from the right or to the left. Okay, now he's emphasizing the law here. By the way, this is the first individual in all of the Bible that God commands, I want you to be guided, guarded, and governed by my word. This is the first individual. He sets an example for us. Thanks for listening to Cornerstone Connection. You've been listening to a message from the eventful book of Joshua. After years of wandering in the wilderness, the Israelite people would finally get to enter into the promised land. What would it be like? What would their future hold? There were so many unknowns that they were entering into, yet God had promised He would bless them. Entering a new season of anything can be a bit daunting and even scary, but there's a reason that God continually reminded Joshua in this book to be strong and courageous. God would be with them, and He's with you too, as you face new challenges and situations. Do you like the message you heard today? Want to listen to more just like it? At cornerstoneconnection.cc, you can listen to additional teachings from this series in Joshua. If you'd like to get in touch with us and ask for prayer about things you're wrestling through or even struggling to be strong and courageous in, feel free to email us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. We'd love to pray for you. With that, our time is about up for today, but we look forward to sharing more from the book of Joshua. So come back for more with Pastor Gary here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not alone Real love is calling, listen, truth open your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Hope is an open ocean. Jump in and you'll find the cornerstones. Your connection run towards your new General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.